Have you ever wondered why you why you do the things that you do? Why you act the way you act? Um, why you reason the way that you reason? Or why you even feel the way you feel? Um, the topic of flesh, the topic of the flesh is, is very, very interesting. Um, the flesh is, to be, is the least understood, is the least understood um, doctrine, if I may say, is the least understood doctrine by Christians that I know of today. Um, many people have different, different definitions. Uh, different understandings of the flesh and I believe that um, if we have to experience the life that Christ died to give us you know um, I always tell people that Christ gave his life for us so that he will give his life to us in order that he might live his life through us Christ gave his life to us so that he would live his life through us. Christ did not give us his life so that we would live it for him. He wants to live his life through us. And there is that thing in us that hinders, um, that hinders God's purpose, that hinders the flow of God's life or the life of Christ through us and that is the flesh. So this evening, and uh, maybe two more um, meetings like this, we would be able to understand what the flesh is. Uh, the biblical uh, meaning of the word flesh. Can we make this a little bit darker so that uh, we'll be able to see the uh, screen? We'll be able to understand what the flesh means and what the flesh is not. Um, the biblical meaning and also um, the origin of the flesh, the origin of the flesh. So we start, this is going to be a PowerPoint um, um, production and you have your manuals or your booklets with you, so um, I think for this evening, I'm just going to concentrate on defining what the flesh is, and also helping us to understand the biblical origin of the flesh, and then we'll proceed to look at the varieties of the flesh, and then you also have um, the opportunity to actually know your own flesh, know your own flesh. The essence of all this is so that you will know your own flesh. Because many of us do not know our flesh. It took me many, many years before I could come to understand what my flesh is, what my coping skills are. So I'm praying that by the end of this series, you, you come to a place where you will know your own flesh, your own unique flesh, and then how God has, um, what God has done in order that we might live above the flesh, so that God's purpose, God's purpose in our lives will be accomplished. Amen. How many of us know what is God's purpose? 
God's purpose for your life. What is God's purpose? God's purpose. Can you tell me? Can anybody tell me? What do you think God's purpose is for us? As believers, yes. We live eternally with him, okay? To help fill the earth with his glory. To help fill the earth with his glory. Another one? To worship him. To worship him. All good. But there is this overaching purpose, and that is to glorify him. God's purpose is that we might glorify him, and to glorify him means that you express him. You express it. You know, he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Image and likeness. To glorify him, to express him. Amen? And the thing that hinders that is the flesh. Okay. Some pictures that you want to look at there, these are all the manifestations of the flesh. Not all of them. You people, busyness, anger, um, Shame, guilt, depression, and all of that. These are all manifestations of the flesh. Some technicalities here. Yeah. Get this walking for me, please. All right, so let's define the flesh. There are, there, are, there, are two, there are two views regarding the definition of the flesh. And I'm going to start with the, with the traditional religious view. The traditional religious view. And that view says that flesh is evil behavior. Flesh is evil behavior. And the spirit is good behavior. Now, we were all born with a problem. And that problem is that we were estranged from God, separated from God. That is the word I want to use. We were born separated from God. And because we were separated from God, um, we had no choice but to live without God. We lived our own life without God. Christ was not in us. So now that we have become Christians, we believe that Christ is beside us or Christ is in us, helping us to live a better life. Okay. So we now believe that we can do good, we can also do bad. So that even as, as believers, we still have the potential of all the evils that we used to do when we were unbelievers. Okay, so the traditional religious view is that man has a good side and a bad side. So man has a good nature and a bad nature. Now the problem with that is that this view assumes that we are all two-natured. So we have two natures. You have the evil nature as well as the 
good nature or the divine nature. Now, what is the problem with that? You know, in, uh, I think it's in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, Christ said that a house that is divided against itself, does what? Cannot stand. And so if you, if you are evil nature and good nature, you set yourself up for civil war. That's right. Your good side would be fighting against your bad side. And so there is always that war between us. And what happens? You cannot stand. And Christ says, no, a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. Therefore, that view is not, is not correct. He says there is a good me and there is a bad me. That is not correct. Now, that view cannot explain um, the difference between the flesh and the old man or even the power of sin. You know, the Bible talks, talks about the old man and the power of sin. This view cannot explain that. And it is not biblical. There is no good you and bad you. You, you are just one nature. You, you are either a child of God or you are a child of the devil. Right? That's what the Bible teaches us. That you are either a saint, righteous, or you are a child of wrath. The Bible talks about by nature that we were children of wrath. And that is before we became believers. So that is the nature of a non-believer. Okay? Now, the other view, which is the biblical view. So what does the Bible say about the flesh? Now, the flesh is our turning every man to his own ways. This is in, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. Every man turning to his own ways. And that is the flesh. That is living our life based on our natural resources. Living our lives based on our natural resources. Let's take some examples here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, verse 26, it says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not wise, there were not many wise according to the flesh. The, the NIV, the flesh there, in NIV says human standard. So NIV calls the flesh human standard. See the resources that he, he talks about there. He said, not many mighty, not many noble. So our strength, our nobility, those fine qualities that we think that we have, those represent the flesh. In Galatians 3.3, Paul, talking to the church in, in Galatians, says, Are you so foolish, having begun with the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And what the flesh there means is your own human effort. Human effort apart from God. In other words, God is not there. This is your own human effort. So that is the flesh. A very popular one is uh, the book of uh, Philippians, chapter 3. 
verses 3 to 7. And I'll read that. Now, this is Paul talking about himself. He says, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Put no confidence in the flesh. So he's not talking about this. He says, He puts no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might put confidence in the flesh, I far more. He says, circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness, which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as laws for the sake of Christ. So Paul is recounting his resources, the resources that he has been living with, his accomplishment. Now let's look at them. He says, circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew. So he's now talking about his pedigree, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, I'm a pure Hebrew. Uh, have you ever found yourself saying, I'm a pure Yoruba man, I'm a pure Igbo man, you know? A pure Nigerian. Eh? A pure American. He <laughs> says, as to the law, a Pharisee. You see, his accomplishment, his resource. And you know the stories about the Pharisees. They were strict, very strict. They knew the law to the fingertips, but only the externalities of the law. The law never, they did not know the spirit of the law. As to zeal, Paul says, if it comes to zeal, if it comes to being determined to do something, I do it. You see, as to zeal. And that was one of the resources that he used. A persecutor of the church you see, Paul went around persecuting the church because he thought he was doing the right thing. He was so persistent in that. A persecutor of the church, his resource. Whenever he determined to do something, he does it by his own strength. As the righteousness which is in the law, the righteousness which is in the law, the righteousness which is in the law is different from the righteousness in Christ. Because the righteousness which is in the law is by performance. You perform well, then you are righteous. I was found blameless. I was found blameless. So you can see the resources, the resources that Paul depended on. And those were his flesh. Amen? Amen. All right, so now, based on this um, two Bible passages, there is another Bible passage which I will, First Peter 1.18, can somebody open to that please? First, First Peter 1.18. 
First Peter chapter 1. Let's see another way that the Bible describes the flesh. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Can we put it on the... Uh, okay. If you see it, read, please. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Yes. Continue. You were not redeemed from with your corruptible, things. corruptible ways of life. That's it your aimless conduct. This is from the New King James. Your aimless conduct, another version, uh, any other version, NASB. NASB says your futile ways of life. Your futile ways of life. In other words, empty ways of life. Worthless. Another version says useless, fruitless ways of life. And these are the ways of life that we inherited. We inherited from our forefathers. So, our ways of life and our strategies of living outside of Christ, independent of Christ. Okay. So now, let's, let's, let's see from these passages how we can define the flesh. So the flesh, also called the self-life, also called the self-life, I'll be using the word flesh and self-life interchangeably because they mean the same thing, your self-life. Also called the self-life is the condition. It is a condition. It is, it is an attitude. It is a mindset. It is a strategy of living. It's not you. It's not it. It's not a pronoun. It's a condition. It's an attitude, a mindset. It's a strategy of living where my focus is primarily on myself. You get that? My focus is primarily on myself. And even if it is a good-looking self, you know, there are good-looking flesh. And we will talk about that. Even when it is a good-looking self, it is well-adjusted, or even it is when, where it is socially acceptable, or in our current language, it is politically correct. Okay. Even when it is that. Where I am living out of my own resources, um, you hold your questions after that, after the, after the lectures, then we will, we will so just write down your questions, okay? All right. So, I am living out of my own resources, and I'm going to list some of the resources, such as your heritage. We saw how Paul talked about his heritage. 
a Hebrew of Hebrews, a pure American, a pure Nigerian. Your education. Okay, your education. Many of us have many degrees, so you can live out of that. Or your IQ, how intelligent you are, your personality, your personality, your sense of humor. Many have a good sense of humor, and sometimes they are so sarcastic. Good sense of humor. And we'll talk about that good sense of humor because some people just have the sense of humor because they are trying to hide something. Looks, your looks, your looks, how pretty, how muscular, or your talents and abilities, or your capabilities, even your self-discipline. And you see, discipline, self-discipline, self-strength. So these are the various resources that I am living out of, and Christ is not there. The purpose, in order to cope or deal with life, to solve my problems, to meet my needs, or to become a success. So it doesn't matter whether it is good looking, well adjusted, socially acceptable, politically correct, the source is what matters. Itself is focused on me, myself, and mine. In other words, the flesh is trying to live life independent of Christ. That's the bottom line. You are living life independent of Christ. The source, we have, we have been cut off from him when we were born into the world, which is the source of life. And since we no longer connected, we have to live this life. So we are left with only one option, and that is to have our own self-life. Good. All right. Let's see the biblical origin of the flesh. The biblical origin of the flesh. Now, understanding the biblical origin will really help us to know what the flesh is all about. Because if you don't understand the origin, if you don't understand the foundation, um, it will be difficult for you to apply it to your life. So, let's look at the biblical origin. You remember the two trees? If we go back, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the book of the beginning. The two trees in the Garden of Eden. And this is from Genesis 1 to Genesis 3. Now, in the garden, God gave man two options. Two options that was to affect mankind for thousands of years to come. Two options. In Genesis 2.16. Can somebody read Genesis 2.16. Genesis 2.16. tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die that's right so two options you know god is love right and love is a choice love always gives choice love does not force things on people so god gave man the choice the two trees so we want to know what those two trees represented 
the tree of the knowledge of good and evil meant that man can know good, he can also know evil. Okay? You can know good, you can also know evil. And not only knowing good and knowing evil, but can also do good and can also do evil. And the story, as you, as you recall, is that they were told not to eat of that tree, from that tree, but they ate. The man and the woman. Note again that Eve was not in the Garden of Eden. Does that make sense? Eve was not in the Garden of Eden. It was a woman. It was after the woman sinned that the name was changed to Eve. Because the Bible says that and Adam called his wife Eve. And that was after the fall. So the man and the woman ate of the fruit. Now, after eating from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, man now knew evil. He also knew good. And he also knew that he could sin. He came under the conviction because there was a law. You see, there is no sin without the law. The law was, thou shalt not eat of that. And so he, man came under the conviction. He knew that he had sinned. He knew he could sin. Not only could he sin, but he could also do good. And what comes with sin is what? It's always death. So the result of the sin was death. And death means separation from the source of life. That is what death means. It means separation from the source of life. So that man is separated from the source of life. Man is separated from the source of life. And so the only way he could live was by his own self-life. And that is by self-sufficiency. Okay. Now, being self-sufficient, he knew that he had to, he reasoned that he had to control everything around him just so that he could be independent. Because if you are dependent on something, that you cannot be self, you can only be self-sufficient. Okay. So man thought, well, if I have to control my life, if I have to control my destiny, then I have to control everything. I have to be independent of everything that is around me, even independent of God. And that is how the independence came in. Now, but the struggle to be independent, okay, the struggle to not to depend on anything would also mean that he has to be responsible for things. Okay. So if I'm going to be independent, I'm going to try to control everything around me. And the more you try to control things, the more those things are going to control you. And the more those things control you, the more you are going to be in bondage. And because man was estranged from God, God put man under the law system. The law system meant you perform to be blessed. You keep the laws, you do's and the don'ts, then you are blessed. And that is a law system. 
And so, of course, if we are, if you are living the self-sufficient life in bondage, independent of God, under the law, the result will always be self-destruct because a self-sufficient life means self-destruct and that is death. I think Paul in Galatians 6, 8 says that if we sow to the flesh, that we will do what? Of the flesh reap corruption. And that is that. But if we sow to the spirit, that we will of the spirit reap what? Life everlasting. So there are two things there. Flesh leads to corruption. It leads to death. And of course the spirit will always lead to life. And so if you look at the two systems now, you have the flesh or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which represents the flesh or the self-sufficient life. But the tree of life represents the spirit or dependence upon Christ, Christ's sufficiency. So you are either self-sufficient or Christ-sufficient. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents independence. In fact, the day that Adam and his wife ate of that fruit, they declared independence. Independence from God. Independence from everything around them. Because they want now to be in charge. But the tree of life represents dependence. And God wants us to be absolutely and completely dependent upon him. Jesus Christ lived a life to show us that. He was completely and absolutely dependent upon the Father. He says, I will do nothing except that which I see my Father doing. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents bondage. And we've already seen that. When we try to control things, the more we try to control things, the more that thing will control us. And that puts us in bondage. But the tree of life represents freedom. Freedom. The tree of knowledge of good and evil represents the law, estranged from God, separated from God, not choosing the tree of life, which represents grace. We will now put under the law system. The law system says, you do well, you are blessed. If you don't do well, you are cursed. But the tree of life represents grace. Grace means that I am blessed not because of what I've done, but because of what Christ has done. is a finished work, unmerited favor. Death for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if we live in self-sufficiency, it becomes self-destruct. Because whatever we sow into the flesh of the flesh brings corruption. It brings death. And the tree of life represents life. Now, if you recall, you know, the narrative when Adam and the wife ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and of good and evil, you recall what happened. The Bible says that their eyes were open. And what that meant was that they now got the conviction that they had sinned. Okay. They had sinned. They knew that they had sinned. And what was the first thing that they did? Tell me the first things that they did. As soon as they knew that they had sinned. Yes? 
they, they cover themselves. Okay. The man covered himself, the woman covered herself. So the first thing that he did was, well, now I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed of who I am. I have to hide myself. I hide myself from my wife. My wife hides herself from me. So shame came in. Guilt was the first thing. Guilt, they were convicted of guilt, and now shame. What was the other thing? Hiding from themselves, not only that, but hiding from God. They heard the sound of God, and then they ran to hide themselves. Do you know that we are always hiding? Anytime that we commit sins, we hide. In fact, we have devised very good scientific ways of hiding, of escaping. Escaping the pain, we go into drugs, alcohol, we go into sex to escape pain, to escape shame. We wear all kinds of things. We wear facades just to hide something because of the flesh. So we're always hiding. And, you know, the, the, you know, the interesting thing is, can you hide from God? Can you really hide from God? So the flesh is so deceptive. It's so deceptive. It deceives them that you can hide from God. You can escape from God. You cannot escape from the all-seeing eyes of God. Amen? So, the self-sufficient man was capable of doing good. Let me get my notes here. And also capable of doing evil. Now, there are four things I wanted to see from this. The choices that God gave man was not between good and evil. Okay? Because the tree of the knowledge of good and evil represented good and evil. You can do good, you can also do evil, but all coming from what? The same tree. So the choice was not good and evil. It was between flesh and life. Flesh and grace, or flesh and Christ. There are four things. Many things are good, but not all things can produce life. That's one. Even the good flesh is bad. Because as as Paul says, nothing good, nothing good comes out of the flesh. Nothing good comes out of the flesh. So that even good from non-Christians, because it is work of the flesh, is bad. Does that make sense? Good from non-Christians, because it is work of the flesh, it is bad. And you can see why many church programs fail. You see, if it is not from Christ, if it is from the flesh, then it cannot produce life. Cannot produce life. And therefore, it is, it is, it is important that 
we study this so that we can distinguish that which is from the flesh and that which is from Christ. I can teach from here because I have the talent, but it may not produce any life because it is just from my flesh. It is just from my, from my resource, my intellect, my IQ, the way I have studied, my intellect. All right, so the summary of this part is that man is now self-centered. We are self-centered. We are self-sufficient. We are self-reliant, self-controlled, self-dependent, independent. Man is not nice. We try to be nice. We pretend or we try to behave like Christ. We try to be sweet. We try to be loving. But the bottom line is that man is acting. We are all actors. There is no genuineness about man. We try to do, we try to be what we are not. Now, this is the unregenerate man. But sometimes, even as believers, even as those that have the spirit of Christ indwelling us, the moment we are no longer dependent on Christ, we act this way. Amen? But that is the good news. That is the good news. My problem about teaching on the flesh is that the flesh is so ugly and the flesh will always want to hide itself. Not many people will like to know those things that they are struggling with. Because when you expose them, you know, the next thing, the flesh will deceive, and then we try to defend ourselves. So this part of the study is always a struggle for me also. All right. Let's look at the varieties of the flesh. <clears throat> the varieties of the flesh. Now, the self-life varies a lot. You go from very poorly adjusted to very well adjusted flesh. You can go from the real corrupt flesh like, let me say, people like the late Bin Laden, or the ISIS, or, you know, somebody that is just down in promiscuity, that's rob, you know, corrupt, immoral flesh, or to exceedingly good flesh, like the flesh of Job, Job in the Bible. Do you know what Job was struggling with? Job's flesh. Anybody tell me? The fear of the children, okay. Pride. Self-righteousness. That was Job. Self-righteousness. You hear him I know, arguing with God. You know, I do this and I do that. Save me, I do this. You know, self-righteousness. And God wanted to bring him to a place where he says, no, it's not your self-righteousness. It is my righteousness. So Job 
self-righteousness. So, it varies. The flesh can be good, but it's all coming from the same source. Okay? Same source. And that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which can only lead to death. So let's look at what is the well-adjusted flesh. The well-adjusted flesh looks good on the outside. It looks good on the outside. But the inside, mm -mm. You see, Paul, in um, Romans chapter 5, he said he kept, he kept all the laws. It was good, but it was only one thing that God used to bring him to his knees. A lost. Lost, which is an inside thing. So you might look good on the outside. Everybody sees you, you are okay. But the inside, you're not okay. And that's the well-adjusted flesh. Self-adequate, self-competent. Looks good on the outside, but not on the inside. Religious flesh. And that is the one that is very, very common amongst the believers. The religious flesh. The religious flesh, you are trying to gain God's acceptance, acceptance of favor through your performance. You're trying to accept God's acceptance through your performance. I pray, I read my Bible, I do the witnessing. All this, the motive is I'm trying to gain God's approval, God's acceptance. In fact, there are, there are two aspects of the religious flesh. I call this one the chameleon flesh. Chameleon, we all know chameleon. Chameleon is an animal that will act one way and then another way depending on the circumstance. And so you come to the church, you act one way. But when you get home, you act a different way. Chameleon flesh, religious flesh. The self-righteous flesh, you act spiritual, we act spiritual in the church to gain the approval, God's approval or the approval of the pastor. Self-righteous. But you go home, you're a different person. The self-righteous says, look at me. I can pray. I can read the Bible. I can quote the Bible. Self-righteous. You know the Pharisees. I, pay, I give my tithes. I give tithes every week. I tithe on everything. I'm not like that publican. Self-righteous flesh. Self-depreciating flesh. This one says is always self-condemning. Self-critical. I'm always condemning myself. It looks like humility. You know, the self-depreciating, it looks like humility. But it's actually pride because the focus is on you. You are fishing, actually fishing for for compliment. That is the self-depreciating 
flesh. You're sitting back or you've done something so good in the church and they want to compliment you. Say, no, 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 no. It's, it's God who did it. It's God who did it. Self-depreciating. You think that, you know, if I lower myself, my humility is actually pride. You are proud of yourself. You are proud of your humility. That's what the self-depreciating flesh means. I think by now, probably some of you are beginning to see some similarities. And please do not notch your partner. <clears throat> passive flesh. Passive flesh. The passive flesh looks weak. You know, uh, passivity, you lack initiative. Um, you don't want to take responsibility. You're passive. It looks weak, but it's actually very, very strong. Passivity is controlling. You know why it is controlling? Because when you are passive, you refuse to, to make decision. Your refusal to make decision affects others. I don't want to make a decision to do this. And sometimes you don't want to make the decision because you are afraid if I make the decision, it will not be a good one. So you procrastinate. I will not make the decision because if I do, I will fail. And therefore, I will not. That is passivity. But you forget that when you don't make a decision, it is also a decision. Does that make sense? Yes. You don't make it is a decision, it is a decision. So passivity is not weak. It's actually very, very strong. It is controlling. <clears throat> Next one is the the self-centered flesh. You are self-absorbed. You are self-consumed. You're always looking into yourself. How am I doing this? You know, self-critical. Everything is about you. Self-absorbed. The opposite of that, others-centered flesh. Others-centered flesh. These are, the, these are the caretakers. These are the caretakers. These are the, the rescuers. In fact, others' actions reflect on them. They tell their children, dress appropriately. Why? So that I will look good as a parent. Behave appropriately so that you, you will not be an embarrassment to who? To me. They become, they become very, very protective, overprotective, because they don't want their reputation to be soiled. Other-centered. It is also called codependency. You see, they have this very strong need of being needed. 
a strong need of being needed. They evolve what I call the toxic love. I love you because of me. I don't love you because of you. I love you because of me. <clears throat> they want to be needed. And if you refuse being scattered by them, they persecute you. There are three cycles. There are three cycles in the codependent flesh or the others centered. They want to rescue you. <clears throat> They want to give you advice even if, even if you don't need it. <laughs> they are very, very good at throwing out advice. Unsolicited advice. It's a dangerous flesh because many of us <laughs> unsolicited ad, ad, advice. If you don't accept the advice, they will persecute you. Persecute you to the point where you say, all right, I will take your advice. But if you don't... <laughs> But if you still refuse, if you still refuse to take the advice, or if you still refuse what they are dangling at you because of them, then they will play the victim. Of all the things that I have done for you, is this how you are going to treat me? All because they have that need to be needed. And of course, if you still refuse, of all the things that you've done for you, you still cannot see me as your savior, as your caretaker, as your rescuer. Of course, the next thing is either they will leave that relationship and then go to another person that they feel would need them. Others centered. Dangerous flesh. They are all dangerous, but this, this one is so deceptive. Very, very deceptive. Uh -huh. Hostile flesh. The hostile flesh vents anger. These are the ones that just whoosh, anger. You talk about road rage. And all because they want to control. Do you know that anger is a form of control? Hmm? If I get angry and spew my anger on you, I'm going to control you. You're going to be afraid of me. So they become very unfriendly. They become very cynical. They become very hateful. Very, very malicious. <laughs> They're very sarcastic. You know, sarcasm is a form of anger. Yes, you know you 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 know you you give a biting comment about somebody that is out of anger. They say, "Hey, I didn't really mean it." Sarcastic <laughs> comment. Very very true. Very very true. You curse the person. You say, "Hey, I didn't really mean it." You know you you know you know you you, you, know, you know you turn it into into humor, but that is really from a hateful heart. I didn't really mean it. People pleasing flesh. <clears throat> These are those that try to be 
all things to all people. People pleasing. You try to keep everybody happy. <laughs> you become a doormat. In the church, you are in every committee in the church. You are in every ministry. You are a yes person. You are a yes man. You are a yes woman. And you let others take advantage of you. That is a people-pleasing flesh. Want to be everything, all things to everybody. Withdrawn flesh, ooh, you become aloof. You distance yourself from others. And a very common one here is that you resort to silent treatment. No communications, you know, at home. Your wife or your husband does something that offends you. The next thing is to silent treatment. I'm not going to talk to you. That is very, very controlling. If I don't say anything, I won't get hurt. And you won't get hurt. So I can control you. So, good-looking flesh, well-adjusted, passive, sweet, religious, I call the other one the yucky flesh. You know, the poorly adjusted, um, dominant, the mean, the irreligious flesh. But they all come from the same source, right? Yes. What? The tree of the knowledge of good and of evil. Okay, we're going to stop here. We're going to stop here tonight. Um, the next Wednesday, we will continue with the most common characteristics of the flesh, the characteristics of the flesh. Do I have any questions, any, any comments? Yes, Sama. Don't kill me now. Um, I don't mean to drag us back, but I was hoping we could finish the topic of, of, <laughs> of last week when we were talking about confession, remember? <laughs> Pastor said he was going to finish that today, so I was really expecting that. Because I got is, into a discussion at home and I told him we were going to finish it. That is controlling. Well, <laughs> um, I think we would, yeah, we cannot do that. Let's address the question from tonight, and then I'll talk to you Okay. Any other question? Uh, the young man had a question. Did you? Oh, I already answered. Okay, good, good. All right, yes. Question. Under the biblical origin, uh, under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you have bondage yes. as one of the characteristics. And you said, you made a comment which I would like you to clarify. You said, uh, the more we, we try to control things, the more. The more that thing will control yeah, us. Yeah. Yes, 
the more that thing will control us. You try to control things, they are going to control you. Addicts, alcohol, addicts. When we, because I've worked with um, quite a few of them, they want to control their lives. They want to escape maybe pain or whatever thing that they might be struggling with. And then because of that, they resort to this. They, they, they resort to these means in order to medicate or to anesthetize the pain that they are going through. So because they want to control that pain, they are now being controlled by other things. They are controlled by the drugs. They are controlled by, uh, you know, whatever thing that they are trying sex, to use. Sex, yeah. Drinks, whatever, sex. So they are now in bondage. Does that make sense? Okay. But in everyday life, mm -hmm. what, what, yeah, give me another example. I, I mean, I guess I have to think about it at home. I, yeah. Yes. I think uh, yeah, that is, that is a, that's a question here. Yeah. When, when we look at life in general, we can take, for example, when we have a new device coming out, just like iPhone. Hmm. We find people standing in line the night before in order just to get an iPhone. So now realizing that we say that we're gonna have a Bible study here tonight, and then we're gonna open the door at midnight, no one's gonna be outside waiting until the church opens. So now we can see that we want the phone so that we can say to all the people that we have a phone, but the phone is being controlled us yes. by just spending the night outside just to have an iPhone. It's the same way. You yeah. want a TV and then you don't have the money to, have, to buy it. What will happen? You're looking for overtime at your work. Putting yourself in overwork in order just to get a new TV. So it's, it's, it's just a daily so, life. So, so now it controls you. Controls you. So you're now in bondage. Yes. Five minutes to go. Yes. Um, okay. Does that make sense? That is... Very good, very good answer. I had, a, I had another example okay. for all things that control you, like homework. Like you try, <laughs> you try, you try not to do homework. You try not to do homework, but it ends up controlling you. By you get in trouble at school. Okay. I sometimes do that. I sometimes do that. Pro procrastinating. You procrastinate so that you can't do homework. But it ends up controlling you. Yes. Uh. Just another quick example. We often try to control our children. And the more you try to control them, the worse they get. <laughs> and the more problems you have with them a lot of times. Uh, because I grew up in that kind of environment, very strict environment, where you couldn't say boo. I mean, you couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, we had to be in church every single time the church doors were open. We had to wear long dresses. We couldn't do this. We couldn't do that. And we couldn't do the other thing. And now some of my brothers and, and uh, my brothers are not even in church because they were so controlled. And 
really my parents did not have the control, but we, we, we still do that. We try to con control our children. Yeah. So the more we try to control things, <laughs> we end up being controlled by those things. And then we are in bondage. my diet. <laughs> I, I don't want to uh, yeah, I don't want to have conflict with my wife so I control my temper. <laughs> Can you really control? Can you really control? That's a question. Can you really control? Who is in charge? Who is in charge? You or him? That's a problem. That you want to be in charge, you want to be in control. And then we devise all these methods, manipulations here and there to be in control. But actually, it's a deception because it is God who is in charge, God who is in control. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Um, <clears throat> let your word settle in our hearts. And uh, let it begin to bear fruit in us so that you reveal to us those things that have hindered your purpose being fulfilled in our lives so that we will be free of them and live the life that you have ordained us to live. And that is by allowing Christ himself to live his life through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.